0: You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction story called Green Like My Insides, Chapter 4, written by today's guest fanfiction author, Michelle Black. Teddy, amidst the large group of Weasley Potter children, was always the quiet one. He discovered from an early age that he was different. Having a body that altered on his command, and often without it, meant he had to put energy into stabilizing his appearance. His family at least understood this part of him as they could see it. A gift from his mother, they called it. Teddy called it a curse. When he discovered he saw colors differently than others, even being able to hear and feel them, no one seemed to understand, and trying to explain usually led to trouble particularly where his grand was concerned. He was well aware that she loved him, but he'd also watched as a sad dark gray or black would creep into her eyes as she'd transposed the ghosts of her daughter and late husband onto him. However she would refuse to compare him to his dad, those moments came from Harry who would often look on in wonder, and sometimes awe, at how much he channeled his father's mannerisms. James, by contrast, was always the boisterous child, He enjoyed being at the center of attention, soaking it up like a sponge, drawing energy from those around him. Teddy could remember how surprised he was the first time James sat down to watch him draw. James had been young, still learning his words and sucking on his thumb as he watched Teddy make shapes with his crayons. James had popped his thumb out of his mouth and pointed at the circle. Moon? Teddy looked up and gently corrected. Circle. Then he'd drawn a half-crescent next to it. Moon. Moon he told James, who looked back at him wide-eyed like Teddy had just performed the most amazing magic he had ever seen. Even as James grew older and more energetic, playing in family backyard Quidditch games, causing havoc with Freddy, pulling pranks with Owl, Rose, and eventually Lily, he would still spare a moment to watch Teddy draw. James would watch silently, transfixed, as his eyes tracked Teddy's hands, with the same intensity that he brought to everything combined with something akin to reverence, as if studying something precious and sacred that could never be duplicated, much like he was looking at Teddy now. To the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world, greetings from the wild era desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fanfiction author today is Michelle Black. They have been a member of AO3 since 2019, and they currently have 19 fanfiction stories posted for Harry Potter, the Holocaust series, My Hero Academia. And Kingdom Hearts, Michelle Black has been reading fan fiction and MM ships for two decades at this point, and they are a huge Harry Potter fan. They like to joke that they are a pureblood Slytherin, which is a sentiment that I can totally get behind myself since I too am of the house Slytherin forever and ever. So that's so totally awesome. Michelle Black has been creatively writing since high school and has always loved writing, but says that they started writing earnestly about a year before the pandemic, which is when they wrote Green Like My Insides, which is one of the fics that we will be discussing today. Michelle Black also has an amazing fan fiction-related TikTok channel. The channel is at Miro's Black. I'll spell it out for you guys. It's at M-I-R-O-S-E-B-L-A-C-K. And this TikTok channel is where they wreck and review MM fan fictions and MM novels. I've checked it out. It's wonderful. I love it. You guys should all check it out, too. And I know that you will love it just like I do. Michelle Black, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you?
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm so excited to get started. Talk about all the good fanfiction stuff.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited that you're excited. I'm excited, too. I don't get to talk to very many people who remember reading fan fiction for such a long amount of time. I've been reading for 25 years. I think you are close there with your two decades of fan fiction reading. So I'm so super excited to hear what you have to say about that. Of course, we always want to start from the very beginning with your fan fiction origin story. How did you first discover fan fiction?
1: Oh, it's it's such a great question. I have been reading fan fiction for over 20 years now and it all started with the discovery of 90s anime fan fiction i think was the first thing that i found and it led me to fanfiction.net and i was reading a lot of different 90s anime very popular stories you know Digimon, Pokémon, Card Captors. There were some other ones in there that i'll think of Yu-Gi-Oh as a big one. And i wanted to find like more about the characters that i was really liking but wasn't getting like a ton of screen time with. So that's what kind of led me to the internet to try to find some of these stories. And at the same time that that was happening, the first couple of books of the Harry Potter series had come out. I think books one and two had already been released for a while and book three was just starting, you know, had just been released or something like that. And that's about when I got into Harry Potter and I wasn't exactly like looking for Harry Potter fan fiction. I, I kind of didn't really dawn on me that that existed. And I saw like a link for like Oliver Percy story or something like that. And I clicked on it so fast. I was like, wait, they can do that. I can read that. That's like, like, you know, and and that kind of probably started my rare pair sort of journey because it was like one of the first things that I read. But um, I also got really super into Snary. And that was like before the introduction of Sirius and Remus in the books. And I really love Snape. He was like my favorite character. And so that led me to archives like Insane Fingers and live journals and the Snary Games. And all of those were like really huge players in my early fanfiction days. And I just wanted to get more of these side character relationships and developments that I just didn't get to see much screen time of in the canon. And so, yeah, that was kind of like my journey through how I discovered fan fiction. And I was pretty young. I don't know if I should have been reading that stuff when, you know, I was in really early preteen years, but it just hooked me and I couldn't let it go. So.
0: Oh, that's so, so cool. Now, do you remember making fandom friends online as you were discovering these fan fictions? I mean, obviously, these fan fictions are being written by real people and everything. Did you find yourself involved in the community at all online?
1: At that time, I was more of a lurker, I think, like I had some accounts, I did have a fanfiction.net account. And I also had a live journal account. But it was more to follow the stories that I was really into and wanted to read. I did try my hand at writing fanfiction back then I have been since I was in middle school, I've been reading fanfiction. So yeah, because I was that young, I was writing like what I thought fanfiction should be, which was like, male female smut. <laughs> And I was kind of failing at it because I was a teen and I wasn't it wasn't like speaking to me. And I remember the first piece of fan fiction that I wrote that really started me on the path that I got to today was a Wolfstar fic, which is Sirius and Remus from Harry Potter books after Sirius dies in book five. And I wrote a whole like, I don't know, diatribe of Lupin's immediate reactions and like having to hold back Harry from jumping into the veil was serious. And it was this very like, deep, you know, emotional, like a moment. And I think that was like the first time where I was like, I didn't know if I could publish what I was writing. At that time, I was still pretty young. But I was like, this is the stuff I want to be writing. This is like the meat, you know, the the heavier pieces of what I want to be writing, as opposed to kind of writing some of the fluffy things that I thought, like stereotypical fan fiction was, if that's if that's a way to put it if you can if you can follow me there
0: yeah yeah there's the fluffier stuff nothing wrong with fluff like lots of people love it and it's wonderful and i, I read it all the time but it sounds like you had more of an interest in the more dramatic thematical elements of literature and fan fiction that you can really dive into with fan fiction because there's no limits with fan fiction, right? So if you want to focus on something more dramatic and emotional, you can absolutely do that. And people are there for it, right?
1: Oh, totally. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with fluff at all. I've, I've read a lot of fluff. But just for what I wanted to write and kind of play with the themes that I was dealing with, the thing, and even to this day, they're always on the more serious end for me. It's just in my nature, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely can relate to that 100% because I've always found myself more drawn to the more serious topics, I guess you could say, <laughs> with yeah. fan fiction, you know, like the angstier, like, serious stuff that just, I don't know, it speaks to me more. I do definitely read like fluffier stuff too. Do you remember back in the day when they were called curtain fix? like the fluffier yeah like slice of life stuff <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god that, <laughs> <used to> be- <laughs> it brings it back
1: but yeah or like i guess i should have even said like instead of like i should have been like male female lemon live
0: oh no, be- <laughs> my god oh my god yeah i remember dude i remember being 14 years old and someone had posted this fan fiction on like a i think it was like um oh what was it like a geo like personal site or something and they were oh, like this is a lemon helps. fix so be careful I'm 14 years old. I don't know what that is. You know, (laughs) I found out real quick what a lemon fake was after that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so good. Yeah,
0: it is. It's just so funny, like how fan fiction has changed. You know, before the show, we were talking a little bit about some of the things that we remember from old school fan fiction days. And you brought up back in the 90s when Anne Rice was kind of harassing people online a little bit, you know, fan fiction writers especially. And and that kind of prompted a lot of these crazy, like, disclaimers that people used to put on their fan fictions, like, I don't own these characters, I don't own this story, please don't sue me, you know, yada, yada, yada.
1: Totally, yeah. I mean, that was, like, part of every fan fiction you touched. It was, like, you know, whoever, the, or like, if it was Harry Potter, would be like, you know, Warner Brothers, please don't sue me. J.K. Rowling, please don't sue me. Like, it was just... It was just part of the culture.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. And it's so funny because I'm sure that those disclaimers didn't save anybody from being (laughs) sued or receiving those (laughs) cease and desist letters. But we all thought that it did. And so like everybody put those on their fan fictions. It was so funny. But yeah, that's kind of like an old school thing that some of us remember. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Now, in our email exchanges, we've had some really great exchanges here. And you talked about older fan fictions that really shaped you and your love for reading and writing. And I wanted to talk about those a little bit here. Like, how did those older fan fictions shape you? And then I would also love if you could maybe be a little specific here with your answers, because you specifically mentioned two fictions. They were. Serious Black decides to die. And then you also mentioned a mantra that you really love from Crystal song. So I was hoping that you could talk about those in your answer about how older fan fiction shaped you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of fics that helped me shape like my formative years that kind of came with me into the present day. And I thought of of three specifically that uh, I thought were really good to highlight beyond those two that you had mentioned, because I have two stories about those that we will save and I will lead up to those. But the Harry Potter fic Nocturne by Tira Nog, she was a very, very influential writer for me early on. And I know that there's a lot of debate now about Nocturne and like Snape in it. But for me, that's like quintessential Snape. And I reread that fic to this day. And I heard you gasp. So have you read
0: that one? Yes. Oh, I love Tiranog stuff like Nocturne. Yes. She had two others. There was a Nick and Time. And mm-hmm. there was also, what is that other one called? Is it Before, Before Treated? What's it called? I can't remember now. But oh my God. I remember finding her personal website way back in the day. Yes. And reading her stuff on like the <laughs> personal website that she had all her stuff posted on. And just thinking like, oh my God. This is amazing because the emotional impact of those stories, you know what I mean? Yes. For, for a Snape lover, right? To have that emotional treatment of the Snape character was just revolutionary to me at that age. You know, I was pretty Absolutely. young when I found those, so.
1: Yeah, me too. And, and it sounds like we had like a very similar way of finding them. But I, I love that. I mean, I loved all her works, um, Until Proven and Growing Pains and a Nick and Time, which I think Growing Pains was a Nick and Time sequel one of them came first. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I loved her writing style and it made a impression on like my writing style as I grew. And then for rare pairs, I have to give credit to Joan Wilder, Z Joan Wilder. Did you ever read any of her stuff on LiveJournal?
0: No, I didn't.
1: Okay. So she wrote all kinds of pairings, like anything that would come to mind. And back then, it was kind of harder to find some of these rare pairs. And she wrote this fic that I found later, like maybe two years ago, that I rediscovered called Good Breeding, which was a Charlie Draco fic I had been looking for, but didn't know that I was looking for. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like you, you're like, oh, remember that fic where this thing had happened and this thing happened? And, you know, I, what fic was that? And that was one of those type of situations. And I found the fic and I was like, oh, yeah, this is everything I remember it to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I found it for this plot. So yeah, that was like a big marker for me. But then uh, as a third pick, I wanted to highlight this fic called Untouched and Alive by Philalethia on fanfiction.net, which is an old Digimon fanfic. And let me tell you, okay, so when I was a kid, I, we didn't have laptops, right? So I actually printed this fic out in like 8-point font and brought it to bed with me so I could read it before I went to sleep. On actual paper? On actual paper, <laughs> And I read it every night. I know, I know. I read it every night that I wanted like that. It was a warm and fuzzy, but also like dealt with some depression themes and some darker themes. And, but the relationship was so cute and it was an MM and rare pair, all of that. And I loved it so much. And I was telling one of my, my beta about this fic that I loved. And he was like, hey, is it still up? So I went back to check and it was. So I rewrite it in like, August of 20, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't August. I reread it in July of 2018. And I wrote a comment review because it's ff.net, you know, fanfiction.net, they like, call it a review. That was more of like a, a thank you letter. And I actually went back because I was thinking about this pick for you, for this for this podcast. And I went to revisit it. And I went back to like pull up what I said about it. And somebody from August 2020 was the next like review after mine. And they were like, what? I just read. Yeah, they were like, I just read Michelle's black comment. And whatever she wrote is exactly what I went through reading your story.
0: Oh, and I <laughs> that's found so die. cool. I was like,
1: oh, my God. So I, I was like, I have to tell Chaos Blue about this. It's so cool.
0: <laughs> they were like, ditto, pretty yeah, much everything ditto. Michelle just said. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's so, so, so cool. Now, I have to ask you. It sounds like you were a lot younger when you read that for the first time. Have you gone back in recent years to read it again? And if so, has the experience of reading it changed?
1: Yeah, I did. So I went back and reread it in July of 2018 because I was actually recommending it to my beta to read. And I was like, before I do that, I better like make sure that I still like it. And it held up. And not only did it held up, it brought up the same emotional beats that I had when I was a young teen reading it. It brought up, like, some of the pros that had sunk into my subconsciousness without me even realizing it. Like, there's a part where character, you know, one of the characters is telling the other character that his scars are part of what makes him beautiful to the world. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I've, like, said those exact words to someone without knowing that, like, I'm relating oh. it back to the story. Right. Right. So I was like, wow, it, like, really shaped some of my thinking. And I just, yeah, it was... It was very cool to, to go back and find out that that story was, like, not only still up, but still there and still part of who I am, I guess.
0: Yeah, it stood the test of time. I love it. when we find fan fictions that can stand the test of time like that. They are so amazing. That's awesome.
1: Yes, I love it. So you asked about Sirius Black Decides to Die. So that was a Harry Potter fan fiction that I read way back in the day when... Facebook was just starting to become a thing. I think you still needed a college email to even get a Facebook, you know, way, way back. And I had made an account. And one of the things that they requested when you make an account is back then was you had a place for favorite quotes. And I put this quote in there that I had remembered from the story I read. That read, we are all like lamps with their glass walls more or less dirty. If you don't scrub them clean from time to time, then no one sees the light. We are all carrying inside. And I loved that quote. Oh, I love that. Is that not gorgeous? Oh, my God. And I loved that quote so much. And I put it on on my wall. I didn't credit to where it was. I didn't, you know, nothing like that. But because I had had to type it out, I it stuck with me, you know, over the years. And I was reading a lot of Wolfstar, good chunk, like early during the pandemic, um, you know, for lack of anything else to do, read some Wolfstar. And I found this old live journal story that was still up. And I was like, I don't remember reading this. I'm going to read it. And it was called Serious Black Decides to Die. And at some point, I came across that line and I was like, oh, Stop the presses! This is where that that <laughs> quote came from. Like, I have no idea how I found this. This is so cool. In fact, I think I was at the gym reading that part of the story, and no I was like, I way. can't. Yeah, I was like, I can't celebrate <laughs> anything, you
0: know, with anybody about this. Like, who am I gonna tell? Oh, oh, see, I would have been like screaming out loud in the gym. Everyone's looking at me like that. Totally would have been me, and I'd be like, sorry, folks. Like, yep. sorry.
1: Yeah, right, right. So sorry. Um so I uh, that was that was like such a cool moment. And then The Crystal Song, The Crystal Song is actually not a Harry Potter fan fiction, it's a Star Wars fan fiction. And it was written by an author that I adore everything they've written and I wanted to branch out because they've written some Harry Potter fiction, they've written some Black Sails, they've written a bunch of things. And I wanted to branch out and read like everything they wrote because they were just so good. And one of the things that I'm not a huge, like, Star Wars, like, I love the movies, but I've never been into the back series of Star Wars, you know, all the books and all the expanded universe of it. And when Rogue One came out, and I saw Crystal Song was about Rogue One, I was like, okay, that's like, I, if it's all based on the movie, that's something I can, like, follow and really understand the fandom of. And in within that story, there's a mantra that, that they use a lot, which is I'm one with the force and the force is with me. And they repeat it over and over and over again. And as I was reading that fan fiction, I was finding myself in real life, like, thinking of that mantra and thinking of that mantra over and over again. So I was like, well, it must be a good story (laughs) if I'm bringing it off the page into my life. So that was pretty cool.
0: That's so cool. I love the sound of that mantra. It's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost mysterious. In a way, you know, yeah, like what impact did that mantra have for you? Like, what was that meaning for you personally? It was like, well, for me,
1: it kind of meant everything I have is within me, right? Like I am one with the force and the forces of me, like the force being like some sort of the old soul or essence that you bring into the situation, and like you are part of it, but it's also like outside of yourself and that's kind of how I took it into our like, into the day-to-day. So that's kind of how I interpreted it.
0: I love that interpretation. That's actually really beautiful, especially in situations where you find yourself feeling less than or not quite up to the task of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, And to remember that, that like, everything I need is already within me. I love that that kind of incorporated into your personal ethos. Yeah. All from a fan fiction that you read, like, forever (laughs) ago. Right, right. It's just... It was just really cool.
1: I, I like when stories come with you off the page into into the real world. And and that doesn't have to be a food fiction, just like any sort of story. I just, I think that's so fun. I think that helps bring the magic into our world, you know?
0: I could not agree more. That's one of the things that I find most appealing about literature in general, whether it's published literature or whether it's fan fiction. Any written word or any form of written word is just so gorgeous because you never know when you're going to come across that line that's going to mean the world to you. And those things stick with you. They do. You carry it with you, whether you are aware of it or not, <laughs> subconsciously right. or right. not, like it's it's there, a part of you. And it's just amazing the different things that we can take off the page and that carry so much meaning for us going forward into the world as we encounter real life situations and real life challenges and things. So I think that that's so cool that you were able to take those things from the page That's kind of one of the reasons why I love to talk about fan fiction just as a general concept, because I think that a lot of people who love literature already are familiar with this concept of seeing something so beautiful and meaningful on the written page that sticks with you. But there are a lot of people out there who maybe have trouble with that concept transferring over to fan fiction because, oh, fan fiction, it's not as great as, you know, published literature or whatever. But like in my experience I have had just as many beautiful lines and things from fan fiction stick with me as published fiction and everything. So I love talking about fan fiction as a general concept. Why do you think fan fiction is special? What do you love the most about it? And how has it affected you personally, aside from, from what we've already discussed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with the general concept piece. I think fan fiction is a great way to express yourself within a world that already exists or within a character that already provides you some guidelines to explore, to break, to derive, to change, like, your own story from. And I think that that's a great playground for both new writers to play in because those established guidelines are already in place for you to kind of expound upon or eliminate if you want. But it's also a great place for established writers to try out something new. That maybe they didn't get to try out like in their book or, you know, in in their writing career if they don't write novels or something like that. I think fan fiction offers a unique playground of sorts in which to do that. I think it, it becomes special because it gives you this opportunity to linger longer with the world or the characters or both that you already have some investment in. And it's also super accessible to do that because it's free, it's online, anyone can write anything they want. And it provides a way to keep, like, fandom communities going longer after canon has completed. I mean, just look at Harry Potter. But there's many, many other examples where canon has closed, you know, Gravity Falls comes to mind, and there's still things that are being written or discussed or, you know, created for that fandom. And I also think it allows for more, like, screen time with side characters that you don't get to see within canon very much. I brought this up like way back when we were first starting talking about rare pairs or mass head canon pairings even that just don't get a lot of screen time in their canon such as like Wolfstar or Kamishin for MHA. Like people, a lot of people believe that those characters are destined to be together and they want to see them together. But within the canon, there's just no time to devote to those pairings. So I think that it gives like much more time to crack that open and explore it. And then I guess the last piece of your question was how has it affected me personally? I think it's affected me in a lot of ways <laughs> that I don't even know if I can separate from myself because I found it so young. But it definitely gave me like one of the few safe places to explore LGBTQ themes as a child and gave me a window into these stories that I never would have encountered really without it. And it gave it, it made it safe to encounter them, right? So like, for instance, I still remember the day I read my first M -M original book. I was probably late in my later years of high school. And I kind of felt like, well, should I be reading this physical book that, that has these themes in it? But with Fix, that was never really like a thought in my head. Just because there were so many pairings and there was such a plethora of like a buffet of what I wanted to read. That it never felt, like, wrong, if that makes sense. And not that M.M. books are wrong, but it just always felt like there was more acceptance in that space.
0: Yeah, it felt safer to encounter it there versus off, like, some book on a shelf or something. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. And not that the book was bad. It was actually great. It was a great book. Fantastic author. Uh, I think it was the only M.M. book she ever wrote, but she wrote some other really fantastic historical literature. Historical fiction. But it was just kind of, like, one of those things where it was, like... There's so much more in in fan fiction that I could pick up and find. I didn't have to go like digging for it.
0: I love that. I love that so much. You know, I was just talking to a very old friend of mine today. This is a friend that I've had since my college days (laughs) and I'm a little old. So like we've been friends (laughs) for for quite some time, but we, we were little 18 year old freshmen together. And I was saying that in my own growing up experience, I don't feel like I had the opportunity for exposure to LBGT content or issues, just because of the way that that we were raised. Totally. But I got that exposure in small doses through fan fiction, and it was that small exposure, honestly, that started opening up that world to me and helped me figure out myself and helped me on my own journey to uh, self-discovery and self-acceptance. And I have no idea what that would have looked like if fan fiction hadn't been there to expose me to those concepts and to expose me to the idea that people can love other people regardless of gender or sexual orientation. And these can be happy stories with happy endings, you know, back then in the 90s, I don't think we had (laughs) as much opportunity to see those types of relationships in positive ways. But fan fiction gave us that. I'll always be grateful for that.
1: I'm smiling so big over here because you're so totally dead on. Like you put all my thoughts into words.
0: It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. Now, we did talk briefly, I think, through email about your history with writing a little bit. And you had said that when you were younger, you did dabble in like creative writing projects here and there. But fan fiction really didn't come along for you as something that you were doing personally until later. So it sounds like you were writing something when you were younger, though. Like, but but it wasn't fan fiction. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, I always liked writing, and I think in middle school in my yearbook, I was voted most likely to become the next big writer. I always had a notebook. I was always writing something, some sort of story, notes for a story, things like that. My 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 life journal, whatever it was, right. But it never really felt it always felt like it was more work to kind of, well, back then we didn't really have the internet like we do now to have research. It also didn't really feel like the story I wanted to tell, like it, unless it was about me personally, like it always felt like I was writing the story for other people, right? So I kind of stepped back from that for a while during like my you know, post-college years, I, I did some other things. And then we'll talk about what inspired me to write GLMI or Green Lake Mansides. But I knew I wanted to tell a story that, it wasn't really, like, something I wanted, you know, to be discovered by other people, including, like, my family.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Um, yeah. So I I kind of, like, just wrote some some smaller stories, some shorter stories. It wasn't until I wrote that first wolf Star that I was like, oh, I really want to be more open to LGBTQ themes and MM themes. And that's what I really want to write about because that's what inspires me. And I wanted to to write to that. But I also wanted to write, like, character driven and world building stories that i hadn't really read before and that was actually like a big motivator for sitting down and writing green like my insides is i wanted to come up with and you were talking about this a little bit before we started recording i wanted to come up with the teddy that i saw in my head that i couldn't find in fix. i got really close but i couldn't find it so i sat down to to write out my ideas and sometimes you know that spark comes from an outside source so you know tumblr it, another book i read different sources like that. But usually, I would say most of the time, it's an absence of a story that leads me to sit down and actually write it. Because I'm like, I can't find this. I want to read it. Let's go.
0: I love that. Because yeah, I had wanted to ask you about what inspires you the most as a writer. And it sounds like it's that dearth. It's that space in between the established stories that we already have, where you're going and you're looking at this empty space going, I want something very specific. Where is it? Where is it? And it's not there. So you kind of have to create it yourself. Yeah. And that sounds like that's what inspires you. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I'm reading for myself. Like when if you had told me when I first posted chapter one of Green, like way back when, or any of my fanfictions, honestly, that I would I would have readers, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I would be like, What? <laughs> like, I'm gonna have readers? Like I was writing it for me. And I was like, if anyone else would want to read it, like I think it's good enough to publish, but like, you know, I didn't expect it to have any sort of success. And now I think green has over like 7,000 hits. My jewelry is over six. It's like, that's crazy to me. That's not, that was never in my, I mean, maybe that seems small to some other people, but that was never in my plans.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so funny because like, I think sometimes we sit here in our own heads and we think, oh, I really want to see this or that. And we think that we're all alone in that desire and nobody else is going to understand it or want it or whatever. And, you know, before I think it was before we started recording, we talked about finding, you know, certain fan fictions that we didn't even know we wanted until we found them and read them. And so sometimes I feel like the folks that say I write for myself, I always think that's such a beautiful reason to write. But it's so funny to me, like when they start posting the things that they write for themselves, how many other people glob onto it and are so happy to see it posted and are just so grateful that it exists because it turns out that there are a lot of people out there who wanted to see that same thing or maybe didn't even know that they wanted to see that until they found your story and were like, yes, yes. Where has this been my whole life? You know, <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. it's Yeah,
1: totally. I get
0: it. That's so amazing and awesome. Was there anything Like as you were growing up younger and everything and experimenting with writing and, you know, and and I think that's so cool that you were voted most likely to be, you know, like a famous (laughs) writer and everything. Was there anything in particular that made you want to be a writer in the first place? Honestly, no. Like even that
1: vote was kind of like an anomaly to me. Like I know that that's how people saw me, but like I just enjoyed it. And even now when I get in the groove and I sit down to write like it's just an expression of joy. Like, it's just something I like doing. And when I don't like doing it anymore, I stop. But yeah, I, I just find it like a very intrinsic part of me just wants to tell a story and tell a good story.
0: Uh, I love that. I love that. I mean, absolutely. That's totally essential for any storyteller out there, whether it's speaking or writing or anything. You have something to say, right? You have a story to tell and it just must come out. It must get out there. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I love that you are kind of a rare pair writer, at least with, you know, Harry Potter stuff. I had already told you that this was my first exposure. Your fiction was my first exposure to Harry Potter next gen. I had never read a next gen fic before. This was my very first one. I loved it. And as I was kind of looking into the Teddy and James pairing online, I started to realize like, oh, this is kind of considered a rare pair here, which I think is so cool and amazing that you were able to take these two characters and make such a beautiful story out of it. I was wondering what your thoughts on rare pairs are and what do you love the most about the Teddy and James pairing in particular?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think like the formal definition of a rare pair is it has under a thousand picks on AO3 and I think we're like 50 picks away from James and Teddy crossing that line. So we're like getting there. But I think that rare pairs, like, in general, just allow for character development and screen time for characters that I want to know more about in a world that I already have established and love. So unlike just, like, having that connection with the character, which I totally can have in, like, a Snary or, you know, in a dreary, in rare pairs, that connection doesn't necessarily have to be there. Which is actually kind of fun because I want to see if the author can write the rare pair, especially in, like, a long pick where they convinced me that these two people should be together. Like character A, and character B belong together, bar none. And that's the fun for me about reading (gasps) a rare pair.
0: It's like the challenge of it. As a writer, it feels like there's a challenge there that you really want to meet, right?
1: Yeah. Like I really want to walk away, regardless of like, you know, how long the fic is, but usually I do find it's achieved in longer fics. I want to walk away feeling like, oh yeah, this character and this character are destined to be together until I read the next fic that tears them apart and puts you know puts one character with <laughs> someone else. But like <laughs> I want to come away with that feeling, right? And I think that you know a lot too has already been written in some of those larger pairs. Like Jerry has how many thousands of fics now? Wolfstar, right? Um, right. There's a lot that's already written, and you have a built-in audience. Whereas I think rare pairs are catering to a very you know specific group of people that kind of want what hasn't been written. And not that there's anything wrong with what's been written. I will I will devour, you know, the 100th ABL for the night in MHA or whatever. Like there's, right. there's a love <laughs> for that. But I also think there's a place for something that's like a little bit outside that box.
0: Absolutely. I love that. You're the, really the first person I've ever talked to about rare pairs. And that just makes so much sense to me that it's almost like the mystery of it, you know, because there's not a whole lot of content that goes with it. And you're right, like a lot of these more popular pairings are kind of a it's a saturated market <laughs> a little bit with so much content and everything. And so it sounds like you have more freedom of exploration there with the rare pairs because you could really kind of just make it however or whatever you want.
1: Right. And I'm so excited I got to introduce you to Next Gen, but Next Gen leaves that pool open so specifically because we know that the Wizarding World has moved along, but we also like don't know anything about these characters. So we can put we can play with what does the wizarding world look like in this theoretical future where I can take these characters and, you know, use them as like, you know, my two Ken dolls and, and do whatever I want in the playhouse, <laughs> you know, but the world's already there. I can just craft it around it. And I think that puzzle is, is super fun. And James and Teddy really stand out because they seem like this obvious fit, but it's unexplored to the fullest potential because within canon, Teddy and Vic are, are a couple. And. I was always fascinated by the fact that they and every scene that we have ever seen them in together, they never got along. Like even in the epilogue, like they I think Teddy like turns away from her. And then there's like another published piece about the World Cup that JKR came out with later. You can find on her website. And like they're arguing, like visibly arguing in that part. And I was like, That can't be healthy for a relationship. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I just wanted to explore this idea that like, you know, what happens if Teddy is suddenly single and and what does he really want outside of that relationship? Because that's all we really see him in. And I feel like he gets that yin and yang portion with with James, who's kind of the sensitive jock Gryffindor outgoing where Teddy's shot, you know, but he's still like working through a lot of things and, and he's headstrong enough to make things happen in his life where Teddy is a bit more introspective and though he's typically cheerful and a really good listener and all the Hufflepuff traits that come along with him, you know, they they just kind of have like a yin and yang to the to to them that I think mashes really well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely it does. Absolutely. And this was such a trait for me because, like you know, like we said, this was my first next-gen fic ever. And, you know, I'll admit right here and now that I haven't had much exposure to Teddy and James's people as characters, right? And so I went into this fic with no foundational understanding of what I was expecting these two characters to be in this new future world, right, that you're presenting to us. Because when I left off with the Harry (laughs) Potter thing, you know, Teddy's a baby and James hasn't really been born yet. I mean, he is in the epilogue, you know, he goes to school, but we don't know anything about him. We don't really know anything about Teddy. So this was like such a beautiful opportunity for me to meet them for the first time as grown human beings and to see the personality traits that you gave them and the challenges and the the fears and the longings and all of these things that make them this three-dimensional human being it was just fantastic and beautiful i loved it so much so absolutely reading green like my insides was such a treat for me i loved reading it after i finished green like my insides i did read your my hero academia fic uh, without question that we will also be talking about here in this interview. It was really neat to kind of compare the two stories just a little bit in terms of writing style. I noticed you have a unique writing style, which I loved. I really enjoyed it. I was wondering how you would describe your particular writing style if if you had to. Oh,
1: my God, it's such a good question. Thank you for all the wonderful compliments on Green, like That was That's super sweet of you to say. Absolutely. <laughs> I would say that my writing style is kind of like a well-tuned literary narrative that kind of seamlessly integrates with the story that I want to tell, less than like a, you know, something that's already established. I'm more of a pantser when I write than a pl- as to a, opposed to a plotter, you know? So I have some general ideas of where I want my stories and my fix to go. And I'll allow for those scenes in between to kind of be shaped by the characters and the situations as the story builds. Personally, for me, I think that creates more of like a Natural flow, not to say that plotters are rigid or anything, but I'm not really following this like set prescriptive outline where like point A has to converse and then point B. More is just like I know I want, plot, you know, X plot to happen at this point, roughly at this time. And how do we get from that point to this point is like what I want to figure out in the writing process. What's kind of interesting about, you know, both those fix that you picked is they're kind of a discovery of sexuality, which not all my fix are exactly in that way, but in these two, they definitely are. And I, one of the things that I sort of had to like pick as like the X plot points is where do we bring in like those discovery points versus like the actual outright smut and balancing that against the plot and the story because I it's deserved in both stories. I don't think going to black would have been the answer for those, but I did have to kind of like figure out at which point did I want and how far did they go at which point, (laughs) you
0: know? So. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I love that. I want to expound on that here just a little bit. with Another comment, because if you take what you just said and you broaden it just a little bit to the day to day experiences that these characters are having with each other, that was the thing I think that stood out to me the most. This is not a curtain fic. This is not a fluff fic. There's plot here and there are serious issues being explored with both of these fics. But I noticed that you effortlessly took these day-to-day interactions with these characters, right? And used those day-to-day interactions to push the plot forward. I don't know how any other way to say that, but it was just like, (laughs) It was so interesting because I felt like I had this beautiful front row seat into a window, right? A window into these characters' lives. And I'm just watching them eat dinner together, go get ice cream together, go to their jobs. And, you know, what does that look like? And they're also in these moments (laughs) of mundane, you know, day-to-day life. There's plot there. It was just this really beautiful thing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know what the word is for this particular writing style. But it was just really interesting. Like you said, with the sexual scenes, I think that that also transfers over into just the the non-sexual scenes as well, where I felt like I was watching two real people just living a life. It was beautiful.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, I I was joking with my I said The... summary should just be Teddy and James get a lot of food and they sleep together (laughs) Um, (laughs) like because I felt like I was always writing food scenes with them but like that to me was like their basis of their characters like you know I didn't do that with you know uh, if you want to take the eraser mic fic because to me that was not the basis of their character like that wasn't the story I was trying to tell with James and Teddy like You know, food just felt like a very communal, easy thing. And it kind of is probably a hangover from, you know, the Weasleys and them always having food in the Harry Potter series and, you know, the Great Hall and all the feasts. And I just wanted to kind of like expound on what that looks like in 2025 and how does that extrapolate out. And also, too, with Teddy. I am such a Wolfstar shipper that I always think of Teddy as like Sirius Black's and Remus Lupin's kid, even though they're really not. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's close close enough. Both Sirius and Tox can transform, right? They they both have that uh, capability, just in a different way. And so, like, I wanted, you know, a lot of chocolate, which is always like a Lupin, you know, headcanon. Like, things like that, there's just already established, like, food and eating patterns with them that's already there that can be tucked in like a warm blanket like here's this little sweet that I can just like give on top of what already exists to reinforce the fact that this character is the offspring of Lupin or James is really Harry's son. Like there were these little like moments that I could pick out as I was writing.
0: Yeah, like little callback moments to where these two characters come from, right? Which Mm -hmm. if you're looking for the Easter eggs, you know, they're going to be there in this fic, especially Green Like My Insights. I was also going to say that with the food thing, especially with Teddy being an artist in this particular piece, food is such a sensual experience almost an emotional experience, I think, for some people. <laughs> and Teddy is absolutely kind of a, a sense-driven person. His senses are so important to him and the way that he navigates the world that I can absolutely see why food would be very important to him just in his daily life and would be part of his journey and his relationships with other people. So I think that works perfectly. Totally. Now, I wanted to ask you, like, what inspired this particular green, like, my insides fic? What inspired it? What themes were you trying to explore here with this piece?
1: All right, totally. So, a little bit of backstory. I actually had come off a bad breakup, as you know, that happens, kicked him to the curb. (laughs) Um, And one of the ways that I coped after that breakup was throwing myself back into fan fiction. Not that I had, like, really moved away or stopped reading so much, but suddenly I was consuming it, like, it was going to be taken away from me or something. Yeah. Um, And I started reading Harry Potter Next Gen for like the first time in addition to pairs, I've always loved. And I really just couldn't find, like we talked about the absinthe of a fic, the in-depth jetty fic I wanted to read. I got really close. Box Full of Butterfly Fish. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. But the the fic I wanted just didn't seem to be out there. And nothing was giving me like enough time with the boys really, or gave me Teddy in the way that I wanted to see him. And so fast forward, I was several months later, I was cleaning my house. and I was just like hit with this idea where Teddy could see colors and he paints wizarding portraits like that. Just that idea just came out of nowhere. And I grabbed a nearby stack of paper and I wrote the first notes down on this scrap paper in green marker, which I still have, (laughs) which is not where the title comes from. But it is kind of funny that it was green. And I, I suddenly was just I had all these ideas. And I started writing them out and I wrote like I was running out of time. Every moment, every spare moment I had, the story just kind of flooded me and I couldn't get it out of my head quick enough. And before I knew it, I had well over half the fic written and I was looking for a beta. And then by the time my beta came on, I was like finishing up the final chapters. And it was just it was very surreal. I had to think about what themes I was exploring, because when you peel back the layers, I actually was exploring some pretty big themes. Remember, this was before the pandemic, so I was really going for tradition versus progressive culture, weighing like, you know, Troy's character against Teddy's character, kind of being like traditional progressive kind of outlook, um, political power versus society versus freedom. Like all of those themes are definitely wrapped up in there. But there's also a lot of like LGBTQ and sexuality and love themes and not just in the relationship between James and Teddy, though it's absolutely there. But also with like family bonds and how we relate to the family that raised us and how we relate to people we consider family, but maybe we're not related. So I just kind of wanted to play with all of those and brotherly love between Al and James. I really wanted to give Al a really rocky road so that we could see James stand out as like this brother who's going to love his brother unconditionally no matter what and I wanted to portray that. And in order to do that, I had to kind of give El now what he wanted, which is kind of sad, but, and I, I didn't want to do it, but I, for plot reasons, it's kind of how it had to happen. But yeah, I just wanted to explore those themes.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that because you're right. Like there were all of those themes kind of wrapped in there because you have the main event, right? Which is like Teddy and James and them getting together and all of that. But in the background, you have like, political intrigue and you have a trial and you have yeah. all this really interesting stuff going on, which is super, super cool. I loved the way that you used senses and color in this fic. It was absolutely incredible. There's a word for what Teddy can do, and I butcher it every time that I try to say it. It's like synesthes- oh. synesthesia. Yeah, synesthesia. This is actually the second fic that I've ever read with that in it. I read a really amazing Game of Thrones piece by Priestess of Groove. And in her fic, she makes Jamie Lannister have this condition. Very interesting. So this was my second exposure to that. And I just thought that it was so beautiful. Because, first of all, I had never considered Teddy as an artist before. And I loved that because, you know, I read a lot of Harry Potter fics in my time, right? I'm old. So, you know, most of the time when you read a Harry Potter fic, a lot of the characters are doing like traditional Harry Potter stuff for their, what's the word I'm looking
1: for? Ors or, yeah, working for the ministry. Yeah, Yes,
0: exactly. They're doing, you know, potions or they're teaching at a school or something like that. So you see a lot of that. And it never occurred to me that, hey, people in the wizarding world are artists too. And maybe that's what they want to do. And that's what Teddy wanted to do. And that's what he ends up doing. And it's this beautiful thing where you gave him this condition that's just so perfect for what he decided to do with his life. It's so ingrained and integrated in him as a person that I don't think he can't not be an artist at this point. You know? It's just so perfect. And I loved the way that you just you used color. Every time that he's happy and feeling like himself, his hair turns that beautiful turquoise color that he used to try to hide, but he's trying to learn not to do that anymore. I loved how you used color in the titles of your chapters. You know, it made me wonder, like, huh, is there some sort of like a uh, secret code here with the particular colors?
1: <laughs> oh, I love that you noticed that too, because I meticulously yeah. <laughs> plotted out. I went, I remember the day I did that and I had a piece of paper and I had my story up on my screen. And I went through each chapter and I was like, okay, this chapter is going to relate to this color. And, and they do all have some meaning to me. I don't know if that comes across or not. But after I decided the title, which actually comes from a song that I had heard while I was driving, and I heard this lyric, and it was, yeah, let's get together and be green like my insides. And I was like, that's that's the title of my fic. Like done, dusted. I know, so perfect, right? I know. I was like, oh my god! It, I think the whole lyric is like, it's the one that starts the fic. Your co- your color changing my moods. You're yellow. I'm natural blue. Let's get together and be green like man sides. And I was like, yep, that's the title of my fic. And after I decided that, I was like, this fic is all about you know Teddy being a portrait artist. Why can't I name each chapter after a color? Like there should be a color in each chapter. And I was at a cafe and I. Just started writing down like each chapter and I ended up closing up the cafe. They had to like kick me out. (laughs) But yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like, I got on the roll and I was like, this is how I'm
0: going to name my chapters. Yeah, I loved that. I was like, oh, they did such a great job because all of the colors that you choose are different. I'm pretty sure that the last chapter was the rose gold chapter. I love rose yep. gold. <laughs> yeah, so pretty. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, that's so perfect. I don't know what rose gold means, like, you know, metaphorically, but I love rose gold. So well, it's if you perfect.
1: noticed, James was always gold through the whole fic and rose gold's red, which is also James's color.
0: So it I was is. trying to,
1: yeah, wrap it, it
0: up. Is. Oh my God. See, <laughs> see, I'm so glad I asked. I'm so glad because I knew, I knew there yes. had to be something there that I just was like, what is this? So that's perfect. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, ask all the questions. (laughs) The other thing I really loved about this is I loved how you incorporated modern tech and social media culture into this fic. As we're talking about this being a next-gen fic and how you wanted to explore the theme of tradition versus more progressive view of what the future in the Wizarding World might look like, of course, you had to put modern tech and social media culture references in there. And I love how you did that. It was so much fun to see the names that you came up with. I'm not sure if these are like fanon names that everybody has agreed on or if you made these up yourself, but You made them all up. <laughs> you did? Okay, good. Yes. Good because they were so they were so cool because you did it in such a way that you can read the name and know what you were talking about, like know what that was based on. So there's like Wiznet, and there was like an equivalent of Facebook in there. And there's like Maggram for Instagram. There's like all these different things on there. And you know, I'm old and I have trouble with technology and I have trouble with like the new platforms and things that people use for social media. And even I got them. So great job.
1: Yay! Oh, good. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear. I, I really did. So, you know, how I got there was I figured. I wanted to kind of like fast forward the wizarding world, right? Because I was playing with the wizarding world in America. So I knew I couldn't like just take what existed in the book, in the canon, like at face value. Because we're not in Britain, we're not at Hogwarts, you know, we're overseas, we're in America. And I read another fanfic that I have to kind of give a little bit of credit to, which is The Man Who Lived, which is a phenomenal dreary fic that also takes place in, you know, America and New York City. In more of a futuristic wizarding world. Did you read that one? No, no, I okay. haven't. Phenomenal. He also wrote the Crystal Song, so um, Sebastian. Oh, has nice and fantastic author. And we we didn't get to like see much tech in the books, obviously, because they came out before you know we had all this tech in our world. So I wanted to kind of explore what a wizarding tech world looked like, and so I set up a few guidelines for myself. I figured that the wizarding world would be about ten years behind our Muggle one. I thought that they might jump on tech faster in America than the British counterpart. So I wanted to kind of build that in. And with that came different plot advantages. So like Teddy not being able to morph his hands, fingerprint scanners can't be fooled. There's additional elements of incorporating digital art as a burgeoning wizarding industry space, which ironically is now kind of paralleling the NFTs, which was completely unplanned. Right, right. But I really wanted to address that since portraits in Harry Potter can already move. So I wanted to make it special that you moved into a digital space. So I really wanted to bring the future up into the world and have Teddy kind of be part of the American elite in a way that's sort of creating that. And then having Troy's character, like I mentioned earlier, and his whole family being the counterpoint to progression and keeping the more... Traditional American wizarding values and ideals that the new generation would set out to break those and giving Teddy a more point of like a liberalism, even though Troy and Teddy work in the same industry, they work in the same world, they come from, you know, high aristocratic backgrounds in both cases, you know.
0: Right. It, obviously, right. their
1: experiences are a little different, but I, I really wanted to create, you know, Teddy's best friend in it. Yes, he's an OC, but he has a point and purpose of creating this whole ecosystem or representing this whole ecosystem that teddy is living in. And then I guess the third tacked on point to all of that is that Rapport's law which was eliminated in the Americas, but I re-resurrected it for plot purposes, which says that wizards and muggles cannot, you know, interact at all basically. Worse than the statute of secrecy, you know, having that be this massive piece that they're trying to overturn and they're trying to to make right. I think that that is really played up in the differences between how Troy and how Teddy see that. And even though they agree that it's bad, they just agree that getting there, you know, how to repeal it in like a different way. The routes are different, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And it was such a fascinating exploration. I loved how you integrated all of that. And I felt like you were able to integrate the tech and the social media references with the traditional stuff that we're already familiar with with the wizarding world in such a way that it felt so believable to me Yay! I was just like oh yes of course of course this is how they would do it this is so ingenious (laughs) I loved it and it was just so it was so fascinating to me because it it felt so real especially for a next-gen fic where you would sort of expect right that the next generation would be more apt to embrace these things Whereas their older counterparts might be kicking and screaming, you know, into the 21st century or or what have you. you
1: (laughs) I love it. I love that it works. That's what makes me the most happy. Like it works and it's intuitive. And that's what I aim for.
0: Yeah, it was. You did such an amazing job with that. I was wondering, what were the most challenging parts of this fic project for you? Because the whole thing spans 30 chapters, right? you got a lot of content here, so I imagine that there were probably some challenging parts. I was wondering which parts were the most challenging, and how do you normally approach challenges in your writing process?
1: Absolutely. So, like you mentioned, there's a trial that we build up to, and I think that scene for this particular thing is the hardest to research and write. I'm not a lawyer by any means. I don't want to be. And then on top of that, I had to kind of like grasp at scraps to research what American visiting courtrooms and laws kind of look like. And I wanted to kind of build off, you know, what we got in canon, but write it with like uh, makusa flair that it really kind of deserved because it's all taking place in America, right? So I didn't, I mean, I'm sure there's details that I went to great lengths to try to avoid being incorrect that most people probably wouldn't even bat an eye at. I probably could have said anything. But I really did want the scenes to be as accurate to what we know about Next Gen as, as I possibly could, unless I was going to set out to break that rule. Um, so there were times like that where that was, I think that was the more like challenging pieces of it. And then also just I think every author, as you get towards the end of the thing, you know it's going to be over. It becomes really bittersweet. And you're like, I don't know if I want to write this because it's <laughs> over and then I have to start over. Um, I but- know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that I think that that was a, a really big thing. And I, I like to approach challenges head on. I want to know about them. I want to know the feedback so I can overcome them and, and strive to improve them. And my beta was really super helpful in that. I remember we worked, we reworked a lot of the early chapters early on before we posted because we wanted to make the intro a lot stronger. And I think that that really helped to not you know, kind of remove a lot of the info dumping I was doing early on and break it up with more interesting and compelling scenes. And I think it's a stronger story for that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I have heard time and time again, that having a beta reader there to help you not only catch things that need to be improved and revised, but also someone who you can bounce ideas off of and kind of help you structure the story as it's going is just so invaluable. I've heard that time and time again. I'm curious. You know, there's a lot of people out there who say that they want to start working with a beta and they've never done it before, and they're just so lost on how to even find one. Like, how did you connect with the beta that you used for this particular piece?
1: No, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh it's not anything you said. It's just kind of a funny situation. So I was on HP slash fic, which is a Reddit subreddit that I highly recommend if you read Harry Potter slash at all. Super open community, tons of Great recommendations for male, male, female, female, whatever pairing, whatever slash pairing you want, you can go there. They're a fantastic resource. They were probably the most like integrated into a fandom community I was before I started writing. And I posted over there a lot, a lot of good recommendations and stuff. And I got to the point in my story where I was like, I think this could use a beta. I think we could start betaing this now. It was over 50,000 words at that point. And I posted on there and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a beta. And I had a few people respond, but when my beta in particular, responded to me. and They listed out several really phenomenal fics that they liked reading. I was like, I think we're just really going to get along. And it just really worked out. Now they're one of my best friends. And yeah, they're, they're fantastic. So.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So you guys met on the forum then, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was just this fortuitous, like, hey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think we both like got each other at the right time. It was like November before the pandemic started. It was just like, you know, I was ready to move into editing mode, and they were ready to help me. And I think like there was just this like really great cophony of serendipity there.
0: I love that. See, folks, you can make friends on Reddit forums <laughs> I or mean, other it forums. Always, right? It doesn't always work <laughs> out,
1: but it worked out very well. And actually, it worked out so well that when I needed an eraser mic beta, I returned to the the I returned to Reddit. I didn't go to HB slash fandom or i'm subreddit wow <laughs> but i went to a different subreddit and i was like hey i'm looking for for uh mhe eraser mic beta is anyone willing to help and it's worked out twice now so
0: oh that's so awesome so there's one avenue that people can <laughs> you know pursue <laughs> for those looking for betas like that is you know something that's open to you if you uh, if you want to try that i just think that's so cool thank you so much for all of those insights on green like my insights I think my favorite theme of the whole fic was just Teddy finding his self-acceptance through his journey with James, because James, of all people, just accepts his love of art and the fact that he needs to do that because art is literally who he is. It's not just a hobby. It's not just something he likes to do or whatever. That is who he fundamentally is, and he has to do it to be happy. And I loved that James just accepts that and not just accepts it, but loves him for that. Teddy doesn't have to sacrifice anything of who he is for this relationship because James just loves him completely, 100 percent, exactly the way that he is. And it was so endearing and just so fulfilling to see that that they, they have that in their relationship. So I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears here a little bit.
1: No, totally. Totally. I will go where you go. Uh,
0: Well, okay. So, (laughs) My Hero Academia. (laughs) Let's do it. When you, yeah, proposed the different fix that you wanted to talk about, and I realized that you also wrote a racer mic fix, I almost died of a happy heart attack on the spot because I don't know if you know this, but My Hero Academia is kind of a new thing for me. I had the privilege of speaking with a My Hero Academia writer last year in October, and I ended up binge watching the entire series.
1: Whoever turned you onto it is My Hero. No no pun intended.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for reals though. Like for reals. I thought that I was just watching a few episodes to get like a handle on the fandom and everything. And I was so into it, you know, that I ended up binge watching all five seasons and it was fantastic. I've never read the um the manga, but I am familiar with the series, watched it, rewatched it. I mean, you know, and then went into this deep dive of <laughs> fan fiction for My Hero Academia. And it's just been this beautiful, wonderful ride. And I will say that it is the Eraser mic fix that I'm reading. <laughs> That's what yes. I read. And you know, it's funny because like, I've said I'm old like a thousand times on this episode, and I'm just going to keep saying it. I'm old, You and me both.
1: I'm I'm old, too. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, like, of course, I found myself super attached to the older pro hero characters, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, Oh, my God. And there's just something about Eraserhead and Present Mike that just gets to me in all the best ways possible. I love talking about those two. I love reading all the fan fiction about them. So I was so super excited to find that you write Eraser Mike's stuff. The fic that you wrote is without question. We'll talk about that here in a second, but I'm curious to know what you love about Eraser Mike, because I know what I love, but I am so curious to hear about you and what you think about that particular pairing.
1: Okay, so let me just say this up front. Ayazawa is my first love of of any pair. Aizaro is my love of MHA. Like, there are oh. other characters I love, but there's something about him. Like, when he first came on screen, I was like, that character.
0: Him. Yes. Preach. <laughs> Tell me about it. Preach him. it. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: I, I, I don't get me wrong. I love Shinzu. I love Kamenari. Like, and, um, not Kamenari. I mean, you love Kamenari, but Kirishima. Like, there are other characters I really do love. But they're in Todoroki, of course. I love how I don't mention Midoriya and Bakugo, oh, even though I do love both of them, but I just, <laughs> they're like, they're not the ones I focus on because I'm such a rare pair fiend. I, I, I don't know, when some, when Aizawa first came on the screen, I was like, yes, him, I want to see him happy with someone. I don't care who it is, just put someone with him. And once we met for that Mike, I just felt like he was a great choice because they counterbalance each other at first glance. But yeah. Mike's also super smart, and he also has an unconventional problematic quirk if you want to frame it that way, and he doesn't back down from a challenge. And while Eisauer might not be as loud or flamboyant as as Mike clearly is, I f- see him filling in the spaces where Mike needs the quiet. And so, again, we get this, like, nice yin-yang of the two. And plus, you know, Mike gave Eisauer his hero name. So I think that just says. A lot, and I do know that that happened in canon, even though I haven't read Vigilantes, and I know I should.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I haven't either, so you're fine. You're fine. Okay, good.
1: Um, But yeah, I I do know. So, spoilers if anyone. (laughs) Sorry if that was a spoiler, but yeah, I think that it's so sweet that, and it says a lot about them that Eisner still uses that name. So, yeah, that's that's what I love about them.
0: Oh, I love that you use the term Yin and Yang. That is exactly the first thing that I always think of when I think of this particular Perry. It's actually kind of funny I, I I've talked about my brother on the podcast a couple of times and you know, my brother thought it was really hilarious that I got into my hero academia because he's been watching my hero for years and years and years and I was never interested, but suddenly I am right?
1: <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I know I know and and
0: he totally got he totally got that it was Azawa for me because he's like he watched me when Izawa came on the screen and he was like, oh. oh okay i get it the
1: coolest person
0: ever (laughs) yeah he is so cool and the funny thing was when i was trying to explain to him the pairing that i liked reading for the most he's not a fan fiction guy but he happily listens to me when i go off on some fan fiction rant and i was explaining to him like yeah it's all about eraser mike and blah blah blah," and he stops me and he goes wait what and i go yeah the fan fictions out there that pair eraser head with present mike and my brother stops and he goes. Well, well, that doesn't work. And I was like, what do you mean it doesn't work? And he goes, oh, my God, can you imagine present Mike in the bedroom? Like, you know, having sexy time and he's so loud and it just like shakes the whole building down. And I almost died laughing right there when he said that. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's that's your objection to this pairing is that he might destroy windows? Like, it was so great. It was so great. And oh, I've actually never come across, like, a, a fan fiction that has that element in it. But I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm sure someone's written it. But You know,
1: it's funny that you say that. <laughs> I don't think I have either. But, like, I, my first reaction to it was, like, oh, Eraser can just cancel his quirk.
0: Yes, hello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to explain to my brother. I was, like, he can just cancel it. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, but he, he thought it was a problem. And I was, like, you just don't get it. You don't understand. That's fine. That's totally the things, fine. <laughs> the things we do to make
1: our pairings work.
0: I know, I know, I know. But okay, so here's the other thing though, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, because while Eraser Mike is my favorite pairing of all the pairings in the world for My Hero Academia, I also did end up reading a lot of Eraser Might fix with Eraserhead and All Might. And I noticed, (laughs) I noticed this huge difference in the fix for these two particular pairings. I noticed that the Eraser Mic fix were softer, so soft compared to what I was finding with Eraser Might. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. Like, what do you think about that? Am I crazy? No, you're not.
1: I also read some Eraser Might because, again, Aizawa, like, I didn't have pairing and I'm there. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, like, I, I, when I first saw this pairing, I was like, all right, the author needs to write a banger of a fic to make me believe in. in in this pairing, but it actually can be done. I actually wrote down three fix that I loved that were eraser. Might, which is Lights Entirely Extinguished by Stickman, Well Met by Despite the Abundance, and Another Year, Another Life by Luca Lafonde. And I think all three of those, even though they're extremely different, bring this pairing to life, like and make it so believable that you just you keep reading and you keep consuming that pairing because you're like, yeah. Obviously it works, but until you start reading it, it 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 seems like they're at a counter, it seems counterintuitive to to put them together. But I do agree with you that there's a lot more grit to the Eraser Might Fits.
0: Yes, there's so much grit there. And I'm not opposed to that. I'm fine with it. And I have read and bookmarked, you know, quite a few Eraser Might Fits as well as the Eraser Mike ones. But I just noticed that like almost immediately, like, oh my God, there's this huge difference in the you know, the feel of these two pairings, and it was just so fascinating to me. So when I want something softer, I will go find Eraser Mike, and when I want something with more grit, you know, Eraser Mike. So by the way, I really need you to send me the links to those. So oh, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. for scientific reasons, okay? Of course. Like sci- of course. For science. Yes. Yeah. For science, for science. 100%. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> Remind um- me. <laughs> and I will. Honestly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because yes, I'll, oh, I'll actually oh, send oh you, if you
1: want to put in the show notes, I'll send you every fic that I listed out today. I'll, I'll yes. remind me to do that, I will do that. And then anyone who wants to read them can go read them because we've got to share the look. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. I do want to put everything that we've mentioned here in the show notes. So that would be extremely helpful. I also have this other question for you that I didn't put down here when I sent these to you in oh, advance. No
1: Tell me. Hit me with it. It's so <laughs> silly,
0: okay? But, you know, after I got all obsessed with Azawa and everything, I was doing research for science. And... And I discovered that there are fictional birthdays for all of these characters. So it, it's not a guess. We know per canon, right, when all of these like, characters were born, which means that we know their astrological signs, right? Can someone please explain to me Scorpio Eraserhead? Can someone explain that to me? Because like I've known a lot of Scorpios in my real life. I was married to one at one point for some reason, and maybe it's just me being biased, but I don't feel like Eraserhead is a Scorpio. Am I crazy?
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, I I honestly, I I don't feel like I don't know enough about Scorpios to comment because I'm not super into astrology. But, you know, it's just kind of funny that if you've noticed like that part of like when he was born and connecting it all back up, because yeah, we do have birth dates for everyone in in MJ, and We also have blood types, which is another thing that might be I always thought would be fun to explore in like a vampire AU for them because yeah, the blood types. So,
0: right. yeah, I love
1: when we get like little things like that that are just like we can wrap we can use this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure that that question comes from like super bias on my part because I am an <laughs> earth sign myself, right? What's your sign? I have to... I'm a Capricorn. Okay. And so that's a like quintessential earth sign. And I always saw so much of my earth sign qualities in Aizawa. And so for a long time, I just assumed that he was an earth sign. And then when I found out he was a Scorpio, I was like, what? What? I don't know. I, I'm sure that now I'm going to get inundated with emails from Scorpios <laughs> out there. Correct me. Please do. Please correct me because I'm just not seeing it, but I am willing to have my mind changed on that 100%. It's just a silly little throwaway question that I had. It's been brewing in my mind. So I wanted to throw it out there real quick. But no, I, yeah,
1: throw out all the questions. <laughs> and I'm also a sign and I get where you're coming from with that because I, yeah, like I was like, oh, he's like super grounded. And even when I wrote without question, like he's got a... A meditative quality to how he's raised and how he how he grows up and how he learns the martial arts and all of that so yeah i totally get i totally yes. get. yes yeah
0: yeah i think that's it honestly like that's where that question comes from because you're right he's so disciplined you know every time i think of aizawa i think discipline he's organized he doesn't like surprises like you know mm-hmm. all of this stuff whereas present mike we know that he was born under cancer he's a cancer And to me, that totally jives, you know, like that tracks (laughs) absolutely 100%. I can see that, no issues with that at all. So it's just kind of funny, it's funny to me. But you know, one of the things that I loved about your fic here, without question, is how you kept Aizawa 100% in character, in my opinion, with him being more grounded and less like, what's the word I'm looking for, less expressive. He's a lot less expressive than present Mike is. And so there are times in fan fiction not so much in canon, but I feel like in fan fiction, sometimes people do explore the themes of Aizawa maybe feeling a little bit bad about himself because he's not as expressive. He's more of an introvert. He maybe struggles with making friends, you know. Stuff like that, and I felt like you did a really great job of keeping that here in the forefront in the story where he absolutely does struggle with some of those things, and it's his relationship with present Mike that sort of starts healing that for him. Does that track? <laughs> no, that
1: totally, that totally tracks. It's definitely like themes of coming age and self-acceptance and self-discovery that I wanted to keep like at the forefront. And what I really wanted to do that I didn't see in a lot of other Eraser mics that are out there that, again, writing in the absence of Fix, is surround him with characters that helped him to become the person that we see in canon today. And whether that's you know early childhood that was pretty bad, that he got saved from, but then he got surrounded by these people that really prop him up and try to make him understand that he's not a villain and he's not a bad character. And how does that manifest in his worldview and in his interactions with other people while he's he is quieter and he doesn't have many friends because he doesn't know how to relate to people because he didn't have that fundamental experience of making friends growing up because he was so far removed from it. So there were reasons why he's like that. And then having, you know, present Mike come in, Yamada come in at that exact moment where it could change because he's not quite an adult yet. He's still, he's not a kid. He's somewhere right in the middle. And where, you know, where Yamada can come in and say, okay, all these things that I accept about you and I see about you are great. But here's this other layer that like, you know, the two of us could could have together, could explore together. And that's not necessarily just in the smut portions. That's in saving an anime to watch for the next week or, you know, the next chapter or, you know, the thoughtful things that Present Mike does that are just out of like, Aizawa's understanding of what friendship is, but he's starting to realize, like, that it is what friendship is. And that's kind of how I crafted his his characterization.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, I love that you've said that, that this is kind of an exploration of Aizawa learning what friendship even is. There's this heartbreaking part in this in this fic where, because, you know, the, the, the premise of the fic is that Yamada keeps showing up outside of Aizawa's window, right? And saying, hey, let me in, let me in. And they keep having these like impromptu late night get togethers at Aizawa's house. And Aizawa a little bit like flammoxed about like, why is this guy like showing up at my house late at night? Like what's going on? But he lets him in and they grow this really cool friendship and everything. And there's this heartbreaking part where Aizawa is realizing that Yamada is probably coming over because there's something going on with him at home. You know, it's not safe for him to be there. So he finds other places to be, and he comes to Aizawa's house. And there's this part where Aizawa is thinking to himself, if I was in his position and I couldn't be at home because it wasn't safe and I needed somewhere to go, would I go to Yamada's house and ask him to take me in like this? And he he was really honest with himself when he was asking himself that question, and he goes, no. I don't think I would impose myself on someone else like that. I literally couldn't do that the way that Yamada has with me. And I just thought that that was so heartbreaking because I (laughs) relate to that so much. That feeling of not wanting to be a burden on somebody else because you think you'll be rejected or what have you. But it was just so classic Aizawa. I just thought, oh, my God, they get it. They totally get it the way that they wrote this. This is perfect.
1: (laughs) I love that because it's just, yeah, it's it's exactly it. Right. It's just this moment. I really loved going into I if you couldn't tell in the story. <laughs> and, and, and just like thinking about like, how would he react to things? Because he's trained himself to have this logical, rational approach to things. And when something, you know, smashes his window and it, it liter- metaphorically and literally in this story, I mean, not that he was smashing, but knocks on his window and disrupts the way that he's thinking about things. I really wanted to give the time to like explore what that looked like in his in his mind. And, and I think a lot of people that have, you know, neurodivergent thoughts really can relate to that, because if your routine is messed up or if you're, you know, the way that you logically would think about something is challenged, the options are you can reevaluate what you're thinking about and, you know, see if you need to change or you can reject it. And in this case, like, I really wanted to open up Aizawa's mind because he is younger and he has the ability to change and have that self-discovery and really kind of think about, you know, is the way that I think about this the only way to think about this? And the answer is no in a lot of the cases and without question. So,
0: Oh, I love that. That is just so freaking beautiful because, yeah, that's exactly how this fic felt to me. Just that exploration of perspective being challenged, you know, at just the right time, like you said, in Aizawa's life where he's he's ready, he's mature enough to be able to look at it and evaluate it. But it's just, it's so endearing the way, like you said, that Yamada just comes smashing through his window and changes or challenges his perception on everything. And I think that that's one of the reasons maybe why I get the sense that the Eraser Mic fix are just softer. You know, they feel softer to me because I see that theme a lot in Eraser Mic fix, where just by Yamada being exactly who he is, just by his very presence, it does kind of become the catalyst for Aizawa to self-reflect a little bit and challenge his own ways of thinking, which is super cool to see because I, I think that man needs to smile more or have more reasons <laughs> to smile, you know?
1: Well, I think something with the thing too with the eraser might fix is whenever you have all might in any fix, there's always a quality of, even if Shoda rejects that quality, there's always a quality of looking up to, you know, admiring, even if it's like, I don't want to admire this person. You still have to deal with that, right?
0: Well, yeah, he's all might, right? Right, he's
1: all might. So you still have to acknowledge that there's, you know, that portion of it, and that usually I think for me and a lot of Eraser might fix makes Aizawa the catalyst. Like he has to be the catalyst because uh, All Might's probably not going to notice him unless we're in a specific circumstances where it's set up that way. Whereas in Eraser Mike, they're, they're peers, they're friends. There's not that like worship of the other or or an admiration of the other that exists. Like they they're just, they're in school together. So they have that different perspective to grow a relationship out of rather than more of a hero chase (laughs) if I'm going to use the word hero but yeah
0: oh I love that analysis that makes so much sense and that oh I'd never thought about it that way but that's perfect that's exactly it that's exactly what I've been struggling to articulate all this time (laughs) (laughs) well I'm glad I could give you the words (laughs) yes yes that's exactly it I I love it all I love it all I will say there was this one time I found this really great polyfic between Eraserhead, Present Mike, and All Might, and it actually was really beautiful and it worked so well and I loved it. I wish there were more polyfics between those three characters, so uh, if there are any like BJ writers out there who want to do me a solid, like I would love more like polyship between those three, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Was there anything else you wanted to say about what inspired Without Question or any other themes you wanted to talk about that you were exploring with this piece?
1: Well, for what inspired it was actually I was I was scrolling on Tumblr one night and I read something like, imagine one of your OTPs shows up at the other's window. and They invite them in without hesitation or something very close to that.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I was like, oh. I could write that and I literally I sat down and I wrote the first chapter in one night like that night and I was like okay this this is going to be a story now and and I wasn't even sure with that particular story like I was I was so uncertain when I wrote that first chapter I was like I think this is for me I don't think there's an audience for this again like <laughs> thinking like it's I'm just writing for myself right uh, but right, I had right, right. I had someone who my, origi- my my beta who helped me with green. I ha- I gave it to them and I said hey, can you read this and let me know if I'm on the right track cuz they do love my hero but they are not really into the eraser mic pairing. And they gave it back to me and they were like, you know, I'm not into this pairing, but like, there's something here. Like, I'm probably not your beta for it, but like, this is good. Keep writing it. And they also encouraged me to keep writing. It's my first thick and present tense. So they were like, it's a good challenge for you. Keep writing it. I think that this is going to be, you know, something special. And without that encouragement, I don't think we'd be talking about it today. But we're almost, I, I, it's almost completely, I think there's like four chapters left I have to post. So it's almost yeah, completed. Yeah, so. almost
0: done. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
1: yep. It's all written. It just has to get up there, so.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That's the perfect prompt for these two, you know, because yeah. it's so believable. It really is, you know. Something like this could have absolutely happened in their teen years and stuff, you know. And so I just thought it was just oh, so super cool. I love it. And I can't wait to see where it goes.
1: Yes, closing in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this pairing and the writers that do this pairing, like, I love you guys. I really, really do. (laughs) And I'm always, like, searching for new content. I feel like, like, I kind of went on a binge, you know? Yes. And I read so many. And now I feel like, oh, man, I've read everything. Like, there's nothing left to read. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I get it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. So anytime I come across some, like, really choice eraser mic stuff, like, that just makes my whole day, man. That just makes my whole day. (laughs)
1: I'm happy to make your whole day. Oh, <laughs> absolutely.
0: You have. Like, you best believe it. Now, before we close out here, I have one more, like, writing related question for you. I was wondering, what's the best writing advice that you've ever received?
1: I mean, other than the quintessential show, don't tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I think there's, there's a two. One is trust your reader. I think that that's a, Very good piece of advice. Trust them to come to the table with some knowledge of things. Trust them to understand what you're what you're writing, and then also trust them to keep reading your story. I I, I often have that thought where I'm like, "Oh, no one's going to read this but me." But I'm like, if I take the story in this direction, would anyone even like it? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, they're going to come with me on the journey. Like, I'm just going to trust them to come with me. And then I also really like write for yourself. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a motto more than a piece of writing advice, but. So I'm not really sure where I heard that first, but I do think writing for yourself brings out these themes these stories that, you know, if you're trying to write, you know, like I did when I was younger, you know, for a mass audience, it's not as heartfelt as just write for yourself.
0: Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. The works that are written for the writer, I think are just the most impactful and the most meaningful. That's been my experience as a reader. That's absolutely beautiful writing advice. Thank you so much for that. Were there any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the show here, real quick?
1: Oh my gosh, we'd be here till next year (laughs) if I was going (laughs) to list out all my favorites. Um, But if you do want to know what fics I'm reading and loving, I do share a lot of fics over on my TikTok, along with MM books and novels. It's at me Rose Black M I R O S E Black the color (laughs) all one word, and I do videos mostly every day on something I've read recently on Fridays I tend to do a wrap-up for the week off of my original books, but then I also share fixed stories that I've really enjoyed over there. And then if you want to know what I'm writing, I actually post on Tumblr, um Michelle Black, and I post up chapters out, or you know, if I'm working on something, or if I have a little chat, you know, funny chat thing or funny short thing I've written, I'll post it over there. So you can follow me on Tumblr as well. And then of course I'm on AO3.
0: Oh, perfect. We'll make sure to get your socials up on the show notes. So anybody that wants to check out your Tumblr or your TikTok channel, absolutely, because I love it. And so I think everybody (laughs) should check it out. It's so super cool. I think that's fantastic. Do you have any last words for us today before we close out?
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This has been super fun. I was really looking forward to this all week long. You just made this so amazing and easy. And I'm so honored that you invited me to be on the show and all the wonderful things you have said about my writing. It's just all the good feels. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for being here. This was my honor. And what a wonderful way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Michelle Black, thank you so, so much again for being here. Check out their stories on AO3. Make sure you check out their TikTok channel as well. Give them some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com. On Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.